everyone, this is George Cross, and welcome back to another highlight edition of the Innovators Mindset podcast for the month of October 2023. I actually need to look to figure out what month it is. It's time seems to go by really, really quick. And uh, it, lots of great guests, lots of great ideas. And we're trying to keep these videos a little bit shorter um, just to get you some highlights. And I really encourage you when you listen, if there's something that resonates, comment um, on the on the video on YouTube or connect with us somehow, comment on Twitter, but also connect with the people that you're listening to. All their information is actually shared uh, below so you can connect with them because I think um, it's really powerful to take some time to let people know that the things that they're sharing are resonating with you, that they're having an impact on you, because too often what we do is we hear great ideas from people and we just assume everyone's telling them things are great, that we really appreciate their work, so we don't do it ourselves. And if everyone actually embraced that, nobody would ever hear anything good. So I encourage you to connect with um, the people that you, you hear or watch in this video because I think there is a, a, a real power in connecting. And it's something that we want for ourselves too. We, no matter how how many times we're acknowledged, it never hurts to hear it again, right? So just make sure you take that opportunity because these are wonderful people and they're taking their time um, to share their ideas with me. And I'm very, very grateful they do that. To have a podcast that people want to come on to is something I'm uh, really, really grateful for. So what I want to do to just kind of introduce um, this podcast is just share a little bit of my thinking. And here's what I'm going to share today. I recently read a line from a, a book called Good Boss, Bad Boss, and by Robert Sutton, and it, it says this. Every boss ought to keep searching for things to remove and simplify and ways to make life less frustrating and annoying. Great bosses live the motto, when in doubt, take it out. That's a quote again from Robert Sutton, and I absolutely think that quote is really, really powerful in education too often we talk about things like innovation and just constantly pushing the boundaries of what we can do. And what happens is we often just try to do everything that it's impossible to do anything. And for me, when I talked about innovation and the innovator's mindset, I actually talked about it in two ways, that it can be either iteration or invention. It can be something we create that's totally new, or it can be something that we've done in the past and really kind of dig deep and, and rethink about how we utilize this. And if you really want to be innovative, we have to know fundamentals. We have to really know the basics, but we also have to know our people. It's like we're in this constant search of just new initiatives, new ideas, when a lot of times to do things really, really well, it's actually perfecting and honing your craft. And if you're constantly just piling initiatives onto people, they'll never actually become good at anything, they'll become overwhelmed and burnt out. And I shared this quote actually in the innovator's mindset. And I shared that to create a culture where innovation flourishes, we have to realize that in many cases, we already have everything we need. We just need to figure out how to tap into it. And of course, we can always find education better. It is very imperative that we treat the people in education uh, better and, and appreciate all the work that we actually do. But it's, it's just that focus on we're constantly looking for the new that we're not really appreciating what we already have. And I truly believe this, that there's so much wisdom and talent in our schools today. How we tap into it is what great leaders do. And if you constantly are adding things, 
you kind of forget what you already have. Just something I was thinking about. And I just wanted to lead with that. I wanted to share that idea with you because I think, especially this time of year, people are feeling really, really overwhelmed and underappreciated. And sometimes pulling back isn't about doing less, it's just doing things better. So I wanted to share that with you. Just a quick insight. I didn't want to take too much time away from my wonderful guests this month. So welcome back to another highlight edition of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. One of the things that I, I'd say with groups that are maybe, you know, they're banning devices still to this day in classrooms. The worst thing you can do is just say, hey, we're going to let you have devices tomorrow and teach the same way that you were teaching before, because now it's going to, you're going to lose. Like you're going to, but how do you get people to think differently about how they use that? And I think both of us learned that from a place of experience. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. And, and you said the key word value. You know, the, the I, I think the greatest impact a leader can have, you know, leadership is not telling people what to do. It's taking them where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to be told what to do. I mean, you don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. But if the conditions are created where we see the value, then, you know, change happens more through intrinsic motivation. You know, when I think about it wasn't just a challenge of me doing a 180 and saying no devices. Oh, now we're going to open the floodgates and do bring your own device. But then, you know, it was how did I get my how do I get my staff on board? Mm-hmm. And it took time to sh- help them see the value. So I, I think in, in leadership today, it's not about doing it all. It's about how do you help those that you serve see the value in different ideas, perspectives, strategies. I I try not to say new because a lot of the strategies might be new to a leader who's implementing for the first time, but they might not be necessarily new. So I think what you said is that, again, how you help others see the value. But here's the thing. You, as a person with a title, if you're a leader, you first have to see the value in doing things differently, doing things better, breaking free from the status quo or the mentality of that's the way we've always done it, or this, it's working. Why change it? Mm-hmm. And that comes back to just knowing that in education, change is a ongoing process and there's always aspects where we can grow and improve. I'm Andrew Murata, school leader here in Port Jervis, New York. I got to Give a shout out to the Raiders. Uh, We're an hour and a half northwest of New York City. I've been a school leader here for 20 years. Uh, And George, right, we're proud of where we are. Uh, I'm so invested here. Our graduation rate used to be in the 60s. And we're in the 90s now, right right, right at that 90 mark. And uh, great things are happening here. So I'm I'm honored to be here and and be part of the work uh, that's been happening. And through that journey, right, I've fallen in love with writing and presenting to other principals and helping others along the way. So it's been it's been a great journey. Okay, so this this is the first question I'm going to ask. I'm going to see if you can share the secret. I don't know if you're going to keep this to everybody. So if you went from sixty to ninety. What was like? What did you do? Like what what did you do that that changed? Yeah, let's. Is this going to be the twenty four hour podcast between me and you? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that you know that's what I was even that what you just said kind of stuck in my mind. Because a lot of times, 
people want to attribute a change like that to we did this one thing yeah and then everything changed but probably it's a combination of multiple things but then it's also harder to quantify how what percentage of those multiple things you did led to it right like i think about that all the time because it's like you don't you don't know this one thing was the ultimate change if you're doing especially if you're doing four or five things in a district to improve stuff so like so like if you can even think of two or three things that helped you on that because i know it'd be you know probably you couldn't say all of the things all the ways your district came together all the ways your you know teachers really kind of implemented things and you know didn't did them really well so what what would you kind of say stuck out to you well, and I love listening to your work, George, and you're so well read and you, your memory of remembering what people said what. Uh, so in your style, I'm going to tell a little story. Malcolm Gladwell did a TED talk called Choice, Happiness and Spaghetti Sauce. Right. And and the, in the talk, uh, Howard Moskowitz wanted to come up with the best spaghetti sauce for the company. Right. And he did all this work and all this research. And in the in the talk, Malcolm Gladwell shares that there is no perfect spaghetti sauce. Right. It's variety. Right. Some people like chunky. Some people like spicy. Some people like uh, marinara. Right. And it's the same in schools. There's no one perfect thing. There's no one perfect. Um, and it's you know, like you just said, all of those good things moving forward uh, together. The first thing, the most important is that we cleaned up the place, George. They used to allow smoking. There was smoking everywhere. The bathrooms were smoke. It was things were dirty. They were dingy. Think about the world we live in today. You go to an Airbnb or you go to a restaurant. If the front foyer is dirty, people are going to turn around. You know, people are going to, uh, you know, so we really cleaned up the place. Our hallways, uh, use the word relentless before. If I saw graffiti, I, mean, it, it, I was I was wiping it off. But my, my director of buildings and grounds was getting mad at me that I led the district in work orders because I wasn't tolerating, you know, that, that lesser uh, thing. Um, and then really uh, caring, right? What is an organic way so the kids know that that we care? And it's not about anyone in particular, but sometimes I feel in the superintendency position, we can lose focus on the teaching and learning. And so we're, right. we're, we're saying stuff, but it doesn't, we don't really understand what goes on in the classrooms every single day. So how have you like found that balance? Because I, 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 I noticed you did that very, very well to really kind of understand and empathize and be able to work with your teachers. And when I say empathize, it doesn't actually mean that, you know, every facet of their job in the moment <laughs> to the day, but you still put them in a position where they can be successful. So how, how do you find that balance? Yeah. So, um, and, and even beyond teachers and teaching and learning, I, I still think it, the number one priority is the student. So, no matter what role I'm in, I don't want to be disconnected from kids, right? So every every week, I make it a priority to get in classrooms. So, so far this year, I'm at 182 classroom visits. I've got a, a, a chart on my board here in my office, and I, I make little notations, what, what buildings, what classrooms I go into. And my goal this year is 800 classroom visits. I want to get into classrooms because I don't feel like I can make any decision that's good for kids if I don't know how kids are learning in the classrooms. So I, I go in it's, and I stay in my lane. I don't do walkthroughs. I, that's, that's not my lane. I just want to walk in and see what's happening. You know, I'm not a curriculum director anymore. I'm not a principal. That, that's not what I'm in the room. I'm just in the room to get the vibe, to see if the level of rigor is where I truly believe it needs to be for all kids. And then, 
And then I, and also that opens the door for me to have conversations with teachers, not about teaching at all. It's how you doing today? Um, I, oh my gosh, I just, I love what I just saw. Um, you know, it is nothing that I'm going to, you know, write up an evaluation. It's just not what I do. But then at the end of the week, I put out what's called a superintendent shout out. And I share every good teaching and learning opportunity that I saw for the week. Mm -hmm. And that way someone at our high school can see what's going on. They've got a lens to what's happening in kindergarten. So there's no more of that. Well, they never learned that there, or they, you know, yes, kids are learning all across the district and I'm going to stay connected with that. That's my, I just have made that my priority. And then I, I also don't ignore what's happening politically as a superintendent. I can't. So if reading is, is what's on the mind of every Kansas legislature, then I need to make sure as, as a superintendent that my curriculum folks have what they need to ensure that we're on track with what the state wants for those initiatives. So um, it it is, it's truly finding a balance, but also prioritizing. I mean, I just, I set myself up for, I try to do an hour a day in a building. That's my goal. You know, so like we were talking about running before and how you and I both track like what we're going to do every day. I'm like, Oh, you got that from running. You're like, Uh, for sure. Totally. totally. That's because that's like how I train. Like I just, I make yes. sure I write everything down. And so I just, that's the first time I'm like, oh, she got that from running. So <laughs> oh, for that's, sure. just, that's awesome. The, uh, um, the, one of the things I've been saying forever is, and I, so this is what I appreciate about you. Cause I knew, I didn't, I didn't know your answer, but I knew it. Do you know what I mean? I knew yeah. that's what you'd say is that don't make decisions for classroom. If you make decisions for classrooms, you have to be in the classrooms. Right. And that is something really, really important to me. And one of the conversations I've had with people over the years, they'll, you know, you'll see someone who has really great leadership skills and would be in a fantastic administrator, whether it's a principal, superintendent, whatever. And I'll say like, Hey, have you thought about this direction? And one of the things they say, and I hear it all the time is why well, I, I like, I don't want to do that stuff. Like I really like being around kids. I'm like, you can be around kids. Like that's yeah. where are you getting the idea that you can't be around kids? Because a lot of times they see kind of what I was talking about. It's all about the politics. It's not about actually being in the classrooms. And there's a joke I make, and I'm sure you'll, you'll understand it, but it doesn't seem like you do it about the superintendent entourage where we bring in the board members and we all like crouch down and all that stuff. And (laughs) people, you know, it's, it's feels very fake and people act a certain way because they think like I'm, I'm on watch you know, for these few minutes that everyone's pretending that they really know what's going on in the classrooms. And I can really tell a lot about a a superintendent, a principal is when they walk into the classroom, does anything, do people change their attitude? And if you're, and if you're in it all the time, I guarantee you when you start, like when you started doing that, people are probably like terrified, right? But then now it's just like, oh yeah. Yeah. How much of that is like, like really kind of just understanding the kids actually doesn't happen in the paperwork. Cause I think sometimes we do all of this stuff, write all of this stuff, but sometimes it's just a conversation that it's really hard to, it's really hard to document, but tells us a lot about the kids. Like how do you kind of balance that out? Because there is a frustration that a lot of teachers didn't get into the role to do tons of documentation, right? They, they, so how do you kind of, how do you kind of dig into that? Cause I, I know that's a frustration. A lot of people have. Sure. So I, I can kind of answer from two ways. I know as a, um, as a teacher, 
looking over my IEPs every year and understanding the modifications and the goal could be goals could be overwhelming. Um, so just in terms of, in terms of students being successful, like I, I had so many kids in class that their, their IEP wasn't obviously wasn't reflective of who they are as a person. And we, we talked before about a teacher that influenced me. And, and one of the things that I would try to do is really develop that connection, understand that school may not be for, for this kid long-term. So what is right. Um, big part of what we do with secondary students, I was a secondary teacher is develop transition plans to talk about how we get a student from point A to point B, um, after high school. And that's really where I would focus my, you know, uh, focus my attention is how, how are we going to move this child towards their goals? Now you have to, you have to, um, focus on the goals that are laid out in the IEP that are curricular. I mean, you can get into, I don't, I don't disparage parents for uh, for exercising their due process rights in very many ways. It's it's why we have the special education programs we do now. But if you don't follow the IEP, you you get into that situation. As an administrator, though, when you talk about data informed, a lot of times for us, it's 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 leverage. Like we have um, we have a disproportionality um, issue in Edison, and I don't want to get too into the weeds, but it has a lot to do with how the number is calculated. But one thing that you can't argue with is that our students are not, our, our classified students don't demonstrate the same level of pr- proficiency in reading. Okay, that's clear. Right. So what, what can we do about that? And when I start to advocate for programs or certifications or, or moving our staff towards, in this case, like kind of the gold standard being like Orton certification for our, all our special ed staff, well, that's costly. Um, but it, it's really clear in what's coming out of, of these assessments. So there's there's kind of two ways to look at it, right? As a teacher, yeah, there's stuff you have to get through, but at the center of that is a human being. For me, it is a secondary teacher, right. the focus what's this child's long-term goal? And then as an administrator, it's it's really more about, okay, what can we do from a more global programmatic perspective to actually use those data and and do something positive for the overall student body of kids? Yeah, and there's something, there's something you said there that kind of sparked a thought that I've been having lately. And I, this is gonna maybe, you know, get me in trouble saying this. I really struggle. I, I it, there, it just irks me. I shouldn't say I hate it, but sometimes I would say that uh, is when I hear uh, teachers referring to kids as scholars, right? Okay. And the yeah. reason I struggle with that is because scholars is a very academic term. It's about academics. It's about going to college. Like it just feels that way. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, there's a little bit of a, a context that basically if, if school is not for you, somehow you're a failure. That's what yeah. I struggle with. Right. And the sense that do we, are we trying to get every kid to be the same kid by the time they leave school? Are we trying to ensure that every kid knows what their strengths are, what their gifts are, what they're really good at, and that it leads to different things. And I think that to me, like it kind of, that was something that kind of stuck out to me. What you said about that is that, you know, maybe school is not for some, for some kids. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking specifically in the inclusion area or the special education area. I'm talking about any kid in any program, but it's like somehow if you don't, if you're not a school kid, if you're not a scholar, somehow mm-hmm. you're a failure. And that mm-hmm. I really struggle with is that it's it's like you're you're saying like, hey, our kids have different gifts, but you all got to kind of be academic and everything's about academics. And I, I, I make a distinction between, I say sometimes there's a, there's a huge difference between the idea of our smartest kids and our top academic students because some of our, 
smartest kids are terrible academically and, but they have gifts that we're not appreciating because they don't fit into the, the little bubbles that we have in school that we say are important. The balance that I see sometimes, and I've shared this often, is that if you push people too hard, they actually will crumble. But if you, if you show too much support without that push, people don't think it's actually what you're doing is that important. So you got to kind of find that balance that I've seen a lot of educators over the years leave teaching because they felt they weren't growing under their current leadership. And when we actually try to, and this is, this is a problem that a lot of teachers talk about, and I think it's really powerful, is they feel so micromanaged. And I actually would say if I kind of fell in the balance is that I didn't maybe, um, I don't know if I'd say didn't support as much as I should have when I was a principal. I think part of it too is, you know, you always kind of look back on your career because I actually, I, I didn't want to micromanage my, my people. And part of it was because I didn't want to be micromanaged as an educator, as a teacher. So I always wanted to think about what's the principal I wanted when I was a teacher and how am I being that person? But the weird thing is micromanaging takes a lot of time that if you're trying to control everything, you tend to not be able to do other things. You not really grow. And so kind of putting people in a position where they know they have autonomy, but you're also there to help them grow to become better. And that, that Lasorda quote, and I'll share it again. I believe that managing is like holding a dove in your hand. If you hold it too tightly, you kill it. But if you hold it too loosely, you lose it. I think that's a really powerful quote and just a great summary of leadership. And this beautifully lands in to the something professional part of this podcast. And I've kind of mentioned it uh, here and there, but really haven't made a a formal announcement. But right now, uh, myself and Allison Apsey, and if you don't know Allison Apsey, I really think you should follow her. She's absolutely amazing, brilliant leader, brilliant educator, and an absolutely amazing writer. I've known her for years. Uh, Her and I met at a Michigan elementary school principal conference that I was so blessed to be able to uh, keynote several years ago. And her and I just had great conversations. We've stayed connected ever since. And she'll tell you that she started blogging after that conference, after seeing me. And so it's really, really cool because her and I are actually writing a book together. And I'll say, you know, I say that in quotations, um, because there's more to just her and I writing this book. And it's simply called What Makes a Great Principal. And I think Alice and I, um, kind of when we decided to write this book, this has kind of been a couple of years in the making. And I, I really didn't really didn't have a vision of what this book could look like until I let it sit for a little while. And some of the advice I give to writers uh, as I work with them often is don't force a book, let it come to you, let it, let it happen. And basically I read her book called a, called leading the whole teacher. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I saw elements of what, what makes a great principal and what that could look like in how she wrote leading the whole teacher and so her and I are working on this and we have identified five domains of basically what great principles do. And we base this on, you know, um, research that we've done on this topic, obviously, but also looking at what organizations kind of um, have shared and, and kind of synthesizing those ideas. And I really wanted to write this book, not because I ever thought I was a great principal, but because I knew 
I had a really great principal. And if I didn't have that great principal, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I'd probably be in a different profession. And I really didn't know what a great principal was until I had one. And so we share about this, but here's what's really unique about the book. We do get insights from uh, either current or former principals talking about those domains and really what they learned um, uh, and, and, and how they actually shared it, how they implemented those ideas. But here's what's really unique about the book. Um, one of the questions I've been asking forever to teachers is, would you want to be a student in your own classroom? And the, the reality of this is, when you ask that question, you're really trying to understand who are the people you serve, what's their experience in the places that you actually create, and moving backward from there. And asking that question, I think, is a really important one. But the other question, I kind of mentioned it earlier, is would I want to be a staff member on a school that I was principal? Too often when I, when I talk to people that, you know, maybe are considering going into admin, becoming administrators, they'll say to me, I don't want to do those things that, that my principal does. And I'm like, well, when you're the principal, you kind of do what you want. Um, you know, and I know that's, people feel that's not totally true. The reality of really great principles is that if you are good with communication, if you're good with your community, you have a lot of flexibility, right? If you're getting phone calls to the superintendent's office all the time, things totally change. But there's a lot of opportunity to create what you wanted as a teacher when you became a principal. And here's why this book is going to be unique. We actually have uh, teachers or former teachers, even uh, a student or two, who are writing stories about great principals they've had and how they actually um, showed those domains that Allison and I have focused on and really um, what some of the strategies that their principals use that brought out the best in them. And I think that's what's unique. A lot of times when, when you read a book, it's coming from, uh, from like a top-down perspective. People that, you know, were superintendents telling principals how they should be because they've worked with so many principals. But teacher, there's more teachers have worked with principals than anybody. And the reality of this is um, we wanted to get their perspective and hear their stories and share that. And so a lot of times I hear principals saying, you know, it's really important that we consider the people that we're serving. And so that's why we, we're actually having this book as a collaboration between myself, Allison, and some really great principals, but most importantly, from the teachers and the students they've served. And so hearing their perspective. And so if you are either a principal, an aspiring administrator, or you work with principals, I think it's going to really be a great book. And Allison is just an amazing writer. I feel so blessed to be working with her on this. And the contributors we have, and we'll be announcing that pretty soon, are incredible. And so that's the something professional part of this um, podcast. Podcast.